0: No creepier text available to us today on this day of all days. We're actually uh, leaning in this morning into All Saints Day. Now, if you are liturgical police, you have to identify yourselves this morning so that I know who you are. I'm going to ask you to step out of the room for just a moment because today is not All Saints Day. Uh, Today is All Hallows' Eve, right? And... Technically, I learned this this week. You can move feast days forward in the church calendar, but what you shouldn't do is actually get to them too quickly. <laughs> so we're kind of out of our lane a little bit here, but so drawn to this holiday of All Saints Day, and I think that there are some important things for us to hear as we lean in to this day-to-day. When we think about saints I don't know if you think about saints often um, I tend to there are some hanging on my wall pictures of some hanging on my wall that I reflect on their lives fortunately <laughs> But seriously so many of us are taught or we think that we need to be taught how to be a saint especially when we consider a day like today all saints day or maybe we come up to a particular feast day of some saint we think that it is on us to learn how it is we become like them. How do we become a saint versus how do we recognize who the saints are and what they're like? Neither of those tasks is very easy, either learning how to become a saint or learning how to recognize those who are saints in our midst. But saints are those faithful lives that we can draw strength from. They're the people that we look at either today or throughout history and we say to ourselves, oh, I'm glad they're there. Those are the saints for us. This is part of the us-ness of faith. When we talk about the saints, one image that should come to mind for you pretty quickly is the idea of the communion of saints, that what we do here as a worshiping community, who we are as the people of God is never done and is never lived and is never experienced by ourselves. Somehow we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, bearing witness to the kind of lives that we lead and they're the lives that we draw strength from. Oftentimes, because there's so much confusion about who the saints are and what the saints are like, our clearest definition of who a saint is is simply the kind of person that I am not. (laughs) That whatever I am and whoever I am, whatever I do, I don't consider myself a saint, so a saint must be the opposite of all of those things, right? And this is the problem when we think about saints, that we oftentimes think of them as being separate, as being over there, living in stained glass windows with yellow circles around their heads. That's where the saints live. And those are the kinds of things that saints do, the things that happen away from us. But saints, again, they're just people who are serious about God in every aspect of their life. Seriousness about God in every aspect of my life seems like something I'm not particularly good at. So again, we create distance between ourselves and those that we think of as the saints. Rowan Williams talks about saints like this. He says, the saint is someone who at every moment of their life is consumed by passionate, holy love for God and God's people. Therefore, not me. Therefore, I observe the saints from a respectable distance and say, good luck to you. (laughs) See, we distance ourselves because of who we think they are and what we think they're like. In the opening prayer for today, it's called the Collect of the Day. We don't generally put much emphasis on these prayers, but today that collect starts like this, Almighty God, you have knit together your elect in one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your son. God, you have knit together your people. And so the prayer for the saints, the prayer for today, right out of the gate, this is not a prayer about particularly holy people who live over there. Instead of being reminded of our distance from holy people. We start today by being told we are knit together, bound together with the saints. Closeness drawing near to these lives that have reflected the goodness and mercy of who God is. So I wanna share with us a couple of ideas today drawing from this collect, drawing from our Gospel text in John and then from one other text that we find in another Gospel. The saints, again, are people who know what it is to be bound together with other people. This is something that we're all called to do, people that we're all called to be as the saints of God. We are people who are inherently bound together with other people. This means that we are unashamed that we are involved in one another's lives unashamed that we draw strength from one another and oftentimes have to depend on one another. So to acknowledge the saints isn't to mark ourselves as separate, but to acknowledge the saints is to recognize those whose lives we now draw strength from and find ourselves in communion with them and with one another. So our response to the saints thinking about the lives that saints lead. It shouldn't be one of disappointment in our own lives, which is so often the case, right? That when we think about the life of a saint, we think that it's something completely unattainable for us. And so we kind of get down on ourselves, like, well, I'm not living as good as they do. But that's not what we see at all in the lives of the saints. The, the lives of the saints are those who draw near to one another who are bound together, knit together. And so what we should be saying is not, oh man, I wish I were better. We should be saying, oh good, I'm surrounded by people who surround me with love and the things that I need for human flourishing. This is part of the mystery of what it is to be in community with one another that those who I see as saints, those people from whom I draw strength and courage and love, they might not see themselves that way. Oftentimes those people actually see themselves as rather poor and weak and fragile when it comes to their spirituality. And those same people may look at me and may look at all of you and actually think, oh good, I'm glad they're there. (laughs) This is the whole point of the mystery of community is that we look at each other and think, oh good, I'm glad they're there because I draw strength from them, I draw life from them, I'm loved and welcomed by them. The communion of saints, if it's ambiguous at all, is all about a life of dependence on one another. Again, knit together, bound together with one another. This doesn't settle with us well past just the idea of it because we live at a time of such rampant individualism, right? I can figure this thing out. Give me the texts. Give me the information and enough time. I'll come to all the right answers and I can do this by myself. A day like today resists all of those impulses in us. The communion of saints invites us into a life of unashamed dependence, which means being able to tell the truth about those things that we need, not seeing ourselves as completely self-sufficient, determined, an individual, but to see myself as part of the larger picture of what God is doing. And of course, this kind of life together, is only made possible by the God who in Jesus Christ has come and knit us into his own life. Our connection with one another is only possible because God has connected with us. All over Paul's letters to the Ephesians, we see this, that God has made unity where at once there was division. That God has actually torn down walls that divided us in order to unify us. This is the thesis of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And if this is true, if this is the work of God throughout history and in our day, drawing into the communion of saints more and more unlikely and unexpected people, we should be willing to be surprised by the kinds of people God draws us to. They're the people that at once we were disconnected from. They were people at once we had walls built between us and divisions were established and God has come in Jesus Christ to say, no, 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 I have connected you and I've torn down those walls between you so that you might live your lives together. When we see the outsider, when we see that person that we don't particularly like, those people that are living in poverty, that are insecure, those people struggling with addiction, what we see is not someone who God has rejected. And that's typically our impulse, that the people who are not doing well are somehow people who God has not blessed. We see someone now in whose life God wants to manifest that's how we ought to see those who are poor and addicted and insecure we don't see them as God's project we see them as people with whom to join because if they can start to draw strength from our lives we don't know what kind of strength they can offer to the community Given the right human conditions, these people can actually join us, be unified with us, and offer us strength and life that maybe we've not been able to imagine before. This is not about seeing the good in people. This is not about seeing the potential in people. This is about seeing the image of God in one another, the image of God made real in other people. People are not a project. People are reflections of the divine image. And there are people that we're called to join because we can be people who bravely start to move toward pain and move toward suffering. This is something of what we see in our gospel text today. That Jesus shows up on this scene where Lazarus is dead. Everyone is weeping everyone is confused, and there's actually a moment of protest here where they say to Jesus, where were you? If you just would have been here. And that moment of protest actually shifts from just being about protest to now it's about accusation. That well, can't this guy who healed the blind, gave eyes to the blind to see, could he not have stopped this from happening altogether? And so often this is our impulse when we start to embrace and move towards suffering and pain in the world, is we're met with questions about why didn't God stop it? If God just would have been here. But Jesus' response to them is not sit down, I'm gonna explain this whole thing to you, I'm gonna unpack the mysteries of the universe. No one has ever said, if you just sit down and explain it all to me, I'll say thank you. Like, this is not our response. Instead, what does Jesus say? He says, take me to him. Take me to him. Jesus actually asks them to take me closer to that point of death and suffering and pain. Not to stand some respectful distance away from it all. Side note, one thing that's interesting here In John's gospel over and over we hear these words, come and see, come and see. And usually it's Jesus who's giving this invitation to come and see, he's he's saying come and see the life that is made possible. But here it's Mary who says to Jesus, you wanna know where the pain and the brokenness and the death and the suffering is, come and see. And Jesus' response to her is simply, take me to him, take me to him. This is the response that the saints throughout history give whenever there is pain and whenever there is brokenness in the world, they don't resist it, they don't run away from it. Their response to it instead is take me to him. Come and see, take me to him. And this is some of the pattern that we see in John's gospel, that there is first a kind of solidarity with suffering, take me to him, and then there's this moment of a promise of hope. To be solidarity, to join in solidarity in suffering with those who are hurting and to give them a promise of hope is this rhythm that we see throughout John's gospel and it's the same kind of rhythm that we see in the life of the saints, a solidarity with suffering and a promise of hope over and over and over again. I want to draw us to another text that we're all familiar with, at least we we think we are. And this is the Beatitudes, this is the Sermon on the Mount. I learned this week that other gospels call this the Sermon on the Mount, And then Luke's gospel calls this the sermon on the plains, which for whatever we thought we knew about the geography of Galilee, it's somehow escaping us, whether it's on the mount, on the plains, anyway, neither here nor there. But these are the words that we hear from Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. is the kingdom of heaven. These words, they tend to be appreciated by people, even those who reject the Christian story. For whatever your attitude is toward the Christian faith, toward the stories of the gospels, most people can get along with something like the Beatitudes, right? Because we feel like it offers us some kind of guide to morality right how to live our lives in such a way that's nice and pleasant and so we basically take away from this what Jesus is telling us is to we we'll love our neighbors right but does being a good christian if those who are blessed are the ones who are poor if those who are blessed are the ones who are hungry if those who are blessed are the ones who have been rejected those people that are hated? Does being a good Christian, we should ask ourselves, mean that we have to become the people who are now poor, who are now weeping, who are now obnoxious and therefore hated by everyone? And the answer is no. There's something more interesting happening in this moment. That when Jesus says, these people are blessed, he's showing us the kind of people who you might experience God around. He's saying these kinds of people are blessed and so you could expect that in the neighborhood and vicinity of these kinds of people, you might experience God because these are the kinds of people that God moves into their neighborhood, as Rowan Williams would say. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are you when people hate you. Jesus says that these people are not the ones that you would ever expect to be blessed. Certainly in our time, when we think about those who are blessed, we think about people who are on top of things, right? We think about people who are in charge, who are in control, the people who have the power and the money and the best looking Instagram accounts. We think this is what it is to live a life that is blessed. And Jesus says... It's people like that that are doing just fine in the world as it is. It's people like that who they don't have any need for a hope for the age of the life that is to come because this world is treating them just fine as it is or as the gospel says, they've received their reward. So they have no hope for another kind of world. And so why would God move close move into those kinds of neighborhoods, of the people who are in control, of the people who have all of the power, the people who are doing just fine in the world as it is. And Jesus says to those people who God has moved into their neighborhood that to think of themselves, to think of themselves as poor and to think of themselves as hungry and as in need of community, in need of being welcomed, that as God is moving closer to them, God is actually inviting them to see themselves not as poor, not as hungry, not as those who are hated, but something different altogether. Jesus tells us that it won't be enough just to be successful and just to be happy. There's actually more to this whole business of being a human being. Now, this does not mean that we just have to go around being unsuccessful and unhappy. A lot of Christians have tried this, and it doesn't look great. But it does mean that there's a way of being human that uncovers for us the fact that we cannot cope on our own, that we cannot manage on our own terms, that organizing the world however we like it is not something that is going to be sustainable. Like it or not, we are people who need feeding and who need loving and those who are in need of welcome and those moments actually start to uncover our needs, our need to be loved, our need to be fed, our need to be welcomed. So while we're busy trying to resist all of those needs, God is saying those kinds of people who embrace those needs are the ones who are blessed. Babies remind us of this all the time. Mine more often than I wish she did. That they are all at once so in tune with what it is they need in the world. That when they're hungry, they let you know it. When they're tired, they let you know it. When they want to be held, they let you know it. All because there's no kind of ego in our babies. It doesn't always sound true, but There's no ego in our children, and so they have no fear in telling you what it is that they want. And there's something to be learned from that, that us being honest about who we are, us being honest about our condition is the very first step in what it is to be blessed, to be most in touch with our human needs. Now, so often we just try to convince ourselves that if we just tried a little harder, if we just accumulated a little more stuff, that we will kind of arrive, right? That we'll come to this moment in our lives where nothing is going to shock us, nothing is going to surprise us, and so nothing is going to change us. And all of that is because we have some impulse where we don't have any need. That's the kind of position we want to put ourselves in a place where we don't experience any kind of want. We think that the reason Jesus says, blessed are the poor and the hungry and the weeping is so that God will come and they won't be poor or hungry or weepy anymore. But Jesus is actually saying, no, the more you think that you're in charge, the less you're in touch with your humanity That's why those who are rich and full and laughing and popular are most at risk of losing touch with their humanity. And when you lose touch with your humanity, you actually start to lose touch with God. God becomes a little less interested in living in your neighborhood. (laughs) Rowan Williams says it like this. This is the announcement Jesus is making as the one who is fully human and fully divine, Jesus tells us that the more human we get, the more closer to God we become. And the more God is God, the closer God comes to humanity. Still, we often think of the saints in some way as those who, at least spiritually, are now the ones who are rich and full and laughing. They've made it, right? And so we admire them from a distance, shocked now to learn that saints are oftentimes very difficult people. (laughs) This has been historically true, that saints are those who are actually pretty difficult to be around, so much so that there's a joke about this. And the punchline is that the martyrs are the people who have to live with the saints, (laughs) This is true in one case of uh, someone not too distant future, Cardinal John Henry Newman. And when he was in the process of becoming a saint after the end of his life, people who knew him said this can't be right because we knew him. (laughs) And he was thin-skinned, he was self-involved, he was short-tempered, surely not at all what we would consider to be the life and the posture of a saint. But here's the great point in having saints like John Henry Newman, is that the rest of us who are also thin-skinned and short-tempered and self-obsessed, we just might start thinking that it's possible for us too. And here's why this is so important. Not because we're doing well, but because we know we're not. We can be honest about the fact that we are not living up to what God has imagined for us. And so long as we can be honest about it, we can join in the lives of the saints. Why? Because we're in touch with our humanity. What made someone like John Henry Newman a saint wasn't that he was a delightful person. We've already gone over that. What made him a saint was because God mattered to him. And so he knew his faults, he knew who he was, and what he was committed to was continually, time after time again, returning to the presence of God, bearing up all of those broken parts about who he was, being able to tell the truth and offering it before God, needing it to be healed, needing it to be redeemed. He came and told the truth about needing to be loved and to be fed and to be wanted. This is what we look for in the lives of the saints. This is how we recognize the saints. They are people who consistently look to God. They're people who consistently tell the truth with God about who they are and what they need. This is why we're here. This is why we come and gather together in worship every Sunday is so that we can announce that we have people who are in need of being fed, in need of being loved, in need of being wanted, and joined together with one another. So when we celebrate the saints, we don't just celebrate the people who were very nice, we don't just celebrate the people who scored high on some kind of goodness exam that doesn't exist. We celebrate someone who has shown us what to do with human brokenness what to do with human pain. Remember those words from Jesus, take me to him. The saints are not someone who is less human than I am, but more so. They know what it is to be a human being in the way that God has imagined. So again, the saints are not over there. The saints are you and me. Not because we're perfect, but because as that prayer says, we belong together. We are knit together. And God has made it so that as his body, we are learning and living with one another. We're welcoming one another as God has welcomed us. In essence, the saints are the ones who take the dismissal seriously. The saints are the ones who in this room today will come to this table with their hands in front of them, open, announcing that they have a need to be fed. And not just fed, but understanding that what they're being fed with is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't end there the saints are the ones who can take that moment and then take those words of the dismissal seriously that now we go forth to love and serve the Lord out there. Aquinas, he says that the efficacy, the proof, how powerful this moment of consecration is when this bread becomes body and this cup becomes blood, he says that the proof of that moment is not what we do in here. The proof of that moment, Aquinas says, is how we manage to live our lives out there. That's who the saint is. Someone who takes seriously the food that we're being fed and can live seriously the life we're called to live out there. Not perfectly, not without need, not from a place of self-reliance, but from a place of brokenness. A person who knows what to do with that brokenness. So we come hungry and tired and honest. Happy All Saints Day. All you saints. Amen. (laughs)